Well, friends, as we get to the sermon in a moment, we just heard from Mark Pyan, a good friend of mine, one of the seven of us who did that double crossing of the Grand Canyon. And he, like I, like all of us, had our whys, why we decided to show up to the start in the first place back in the fall of 2020. And as a reminder, we are in a sermon series called Crossing Canyons, and we're taking the metaphor of our physical canyon crossing that we did last year and applying that to our lives and how there are spiritual canyons that God has before us that God is calling us to cross. We are today in our second week of this seven-week sermon series. Last week, we kicked it off with a sermon titled, Showing Up to the Start. And if you saw it last week, Mark's little testimony on the run perhaps prompted you to remember some of the things that we covered last week. How when God calls us to cross canyons, God is also calling us to show up to the start. And there's a lot of things that can get in the way from us finally arriving at the outset of that journey. But if you missed that sermon last week in week one, I encourage you to go to our website, go to our YouTube channel. You can just search for Bel Air Church and look for Crossing Canyons, showing up to the start, and you'll get all caught up. Well, here we are in week two. And what we've been doing, as I've mentioned a moment ago, is that we're taking a look at this metaphorical, physical canyon crossing and applying it to our lives. And if last week was the first step, we get to the second step on how we can cross the canyons that God is calling us to. And for us, it was perhaps the part of the journey that I looked forward to the least. In fact, we started at 3 a.m. on the south rim of the Grand Canyon. It was uh, in the mid-30s, temperature out. The wind was howling across the Arizona desert. We had layers and layers and layers upon us, but we didn't want too much weight because we knew that later on in the day, it was gonna get upwards of 90 degrees in the canyon. And when we drove from our campsite and parked at the edge of the Grand Canyon, when we showed up to the start of what would be a 17-hour journey, a 48-mile journey, a 17-hour journey, we had to then do what is so necessary to cross canyons. We had to descend into the dark unknown. Literally, <laughs> we were on the edge of this canyon. We had our headlamps, of course, and we could see maybe 30 feet in front of us, but that was it. Outside of the, the scope of our light, which while you're running only takes a few seconds to cover that distance. Outside the scope of that, it was complete darkness. There was no moon. There was a little bit of stars, but not enough for light. We could have been in the middle of Nebraska, completely flat, and it would have looked just the same. And yet, in order for us to do that canyon crossing, to more than just show up to the start and just kind of sit and wait and get freaked out and turn around and go back home. We literally, physically, had to enter into the dark unknown. What was so fascinating about that is that we 
couldn't just show up anywhere on the south rim of the Grand Canyon and descend into the dark unknown. We actually had to, you know, be smart about it. We actually had to identify the exact spot along the whole of the rim of the Grand Canyon to enter into. It would have been foolish for us. It would have been crazy. It would have been deadly for us had we just, you know, willingly chose just any random spot to show up to and then try to descend into the dark unknown. There wouldn't have been a path there. It would have been a, a long, quick fall to our death. And yet we couldn't rely on any of our five senses to get into that canyon, to, to descend down into the dark unknown. Our eyesight was only able to see the length of which our headlamps cast that light. It was about 30 feet. You know, our, our, our hearing wasn't able to perceive where we were supposed to go or where we were supposed to start. Our sense of touch wasn't enough. Our sense of smell wouldn't have gotten us down. Our sense of taste, that would have been useless. And how interesting, we rely so much on our five senses all the time in order for us to interact with the world, to, to move out into the world, to, to respond to things, to have action. And yet every single one of those five senses wasn't enough for us to descend into the dark unknown of the Grand Canyon at 3 a.m. What we needed to do is we needed to rely on something outside of ourselves, uh, another instrument that would enable us to, without the ability to use our five senses, to, by faith, run and descend into the dark unknown. And the instrument that we used was a map. And I want you just to imagine this, physically speaking, we, we had to entrust every step of that journey. We had to entrust our future. We had to entrust our life. We had to entrust the success of that canyon crossing to the map. Well, where did the map come from? It didn't just appear. It didn't just come out of thin air. We didn't, you know, conjure it up in our mind. Actually, none of us, the seven of us had never done this crossing before, so we didn't draw the map. What we needed to do is we needed to rely on someone else who had done the journey before and not just done it and tried to imagine and, you know, penciled it out on the back of a napkin, but someone or a group of people who with their own instruments were able to, with precision, with a perfect elevation profile, with perfect coordinates that mapped up to a global positioning system, with perfect longitude and latitude down to the foot who mapped out all of the journey. So in a sense, we were relying on somebody else's previous experience, somebody else's previous journey, to step out in faith and in the future. And without that map, 
we would have been lost. Without that map, we would have died. Without that map, it would have been an awful, awful experience. So by faith, we ran. Not relying on any of our five senses, but we relied on something outside of ourselves, another instrument. And what we're gonna do today is we're gonna see how we have been given a gift by God. And it's more than just our five senses. It is actually an instrument through which we can move out into this world and actually move out into the canyons that God is calling us to cross, even if we can't see every step of the way. That instrument is like a map. It's the gift of faith. And so often we think of faith as just a, a noun, a thing, something to hold, something to possess. But as we go to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to see that, that faith is not less than belief, but it's more than belief. You see, you can have belief and you can stay with your belief, comfortable, safe, on the couch. In fact, belief doesn't require necessarily you to be propelled to action. Uh, you can believe while you're at home. You can believe while you're on a couch. You can believe while you're on a chair. And yet the life that God calls us to is not just a faith, it is a living faith. It's a faith that drives us out of the couch, out of our house, out of our comfort zone, out into the world with all of its risks so that we can walk and live by faith. You see, belief lives in a house called security. Faith thrives in a world filled with risk. But when it's a faith based on God's words and God's promises, it is always worth the risk. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read the beginning verses of Hebrews chapter 11. And then I'm going to back up and we're going to very, very carefully walk through some of the first phrases and some of the first verses of Hebrews chapter 11, because what we're going to do here is kind of like what we did months prior to entering into the Grand Canyon. We studied the map. We knew exactly how far it was going to be to every single waypoint how far of a descent it was going to be until we got to the first spigot to re refill our water bottles. How far and the twists and the turns and the parts that we knew were more exposed to a drop that we could slow down and make sure we didn't skid off and around the edge. We studied the map. And so what we're going to do is we're going to study Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to come back to, by the end, the canyons that God is calling you to cross and simply to acknowledge that we can't fully see all the steps that we're going to have to take as we faithfully follow Jesus. And that's okay. That should not deter us, but rather we can have this great gift, this instrument that is beyond our senses, that it is called faith, that can enable us with courage to descend into the dark unknown of the things that God is calling us to. So let me read Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, I'm going to read verses uh, 1 all the way through, oh, let's do through 12. We'll come back to the rest later. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 12. Now, faith is the assurance 
of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this, he received approval as righteous. God himself giving approval to his gifts, he died, but through his faith, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For it was attested before he was taken away that he had pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God for whoever would approach him, whoever would approach God must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that is in accordance with faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he, Abraham, looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. As we say every week, thanks be to God. Now, these are just the opening scenes, the opening verses of what is often referred to as the 11th chapter of Hebrews as the great hall of faith. You have 24 different individuals listed in the great hall of faith, famous people. We heard about Noah. We heard about Abraham. We heard about Isaac and Jacob and Sarah. It gets on. You hear about David. You hear about Samson. You hear about Moses. You hear about the nation of Israel. It goes on and on. It talks about all these people of faith who did all these amazing things and they are heralded as some of the greatest heroes of our faith. And it is so tempting to look at them as, as somehow, you know, this elite class, this elite group of people that is so removed from who we are. And we need to be very careful not to do that. Because if we somehow think that they are somehow different than us, that somehow they were special, that they were unique, that somehow, you know, we can never be like them, we'll never learn that the very thing that enabled them to descend into the dark unknown of the canyons that God has called them to is the very same thing that God is offering you and God is offering me. It is not unique to them. It is unique to God, the giver, and it is called faith. 
God equally gives this gift to all who would receive. And you and I have an opportunity today in this moment to look out onto the rest of our life, to not rely just on our five senses, but to realize that this gift that God gives us is actually more powerful, more significant, more substantive than all of our five senses combined. Now, why would I say that? Well, why don't we do what I said at the outset? Let's go back to the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, and let's walk slowly through these verses, kind of like we walked slowly and studied that map of the Grand Canyon. The writer of Hebrews begins this. Now, faith, let's pause there. In the Greek language, the language of the New Testament, the English word faith is the word pistis. And this Greek word is a noun. It is the subject of this sentence. And so the writer of Hebrews is setting out to say, okay, I want to tell you about this thing, pistis, this thing called faith. And I want, to, I want to define it for you. And this is so important because the definition that the writer of Hebrews gives inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is God breathed God's word for us today is actually a very different definition than most people's definition of faith. In fact, most people's definition of faith is something intangible. It is something that lacks evidence uh, most people's definition of faith is something that you finally have to resort to when you are at the end of understanding. Most people, when they think of faith, uh, it's, uh, well, okay, if I can't uh, see it, if I can't uh, hear it, if I can't taste it, if I can't smell it, if I can't touch it, well, I guess I'm just going to suspend all of those things, and I, I guess I'm just going to have to have faith that it's there. And so many people's faith is actually a dead faith. Even followers of Christ, if they misunderstand the actual living faith that the writer of Hebrews is talking about, the type of living faith that God gives you as a gift, the type of living faith that you can cultivate in your life. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says, that is. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, again, the Greek word for how this translation, the New Revised Standard Version, uh, has translated the, the English word assurance. It is the Greek word hypostasis. It literally means substance, reality. It is actually something that is tangible, now, here's what's remarkable. The writer of Hebrews is defining faith very differently than how most of the world, even some Christians, define faith. The writer of Hebrews is saying, now faith is the substance, the tangibility, the reality, the certainty of things hoped for. The conviction now, the Greek word for that literally means the evidence. The evidence of things not seen. Right from the outset, the writer of Hebrews is disorienting us, saying, okay, this canyon crossing that God is calling you to, 
is going to look very differently if you have this instrument, this thing that we call faith. Because it is a thing of substance, it is a thing of certainty, it is a thing of tangibility, even though there is so much mystery, there is so much unseen, there is so much unknown, it is pitch black, yes! And yet faith is a substance in the darkness. Faith is an evidence when none of the five senses can measure any sort of evidence. Now, we live in a world uh, that is a, a prove-it-to-me sort of world. You know, we, we often say, well, well I'll, I'll believe it when I can see it. And we want to have evidence for things. And yet we also know that there are many things that exist in our world that that we cannot uh, see, experience, interact with, with our five senses. For example, when you look at the electromagnetic spectrum, there is a very sliver within that that we can actually see with our, with our naked eye. And it actually is a fraction of all that can be measured uh, it is a fraction of all that has substance, uh, a fraction of all that is actually certain, uh, and it requires us to have other instruments to measure those things. Uh, X-rays, uh, UV readers, we have to rely on other instruments to, to, to understand the substance of things. And one of the gifts that God has given humanity is, is a sharp mind that is curious, that is constantly longing to understand the universe that God spoke into existence. And the gift of science has actually enabled us to understand and to see and to measure more and more and more of this beautiful, complex, mysterious world that God has created. You've heard me say before that scripture and faith are not mutually exclusive. And yet at the same time, we have to realize that what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that there is this thing, faith, that has to do with substance. It has to do with certainty. And what's remarkable is that the writer of Hebrews goes on. I'm going to skip a verse and then I'll come back to verse 2. In verse 3, it says this, By faith we, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Let's study this for a moment. By faith we, 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 we understand. This is, this is so counter to the, the common view of faith. Again, the common view of faith is one in which we, we get to the end of our understanding. Okay, therefore, now that we have no understanding, therefore we can't measure this, therefore we can't really make sense of this. Okay, now I guess we have to resort to this thing called faith. No, the writer of Hebrews says, no, by, by faith we understand. This completely flips it all around. We don't come to the end of understanding and then begin to have faith. He says, no, actually, there is something that is of such great substance 
that has such great certainty, that actually has more substance than many of the things that we could pursue in life or chase after in life, that actually has more of a tangibility, that is actually eternal, and it is things created by the very Word of God. And by faith, we can understand that the worlds, all of the cosmos, including our solar system, our planet, all of us, were prepared by the very word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that we are not a, a cosmic Mistake. We are not just a, a random accident of visible things colliding into one another in the right environments to then create the first uh, forms of life to then grow to, to what we are today. No, the writer of Hebrews says that we can actually, by faith, understand. We can begin to comprehend that the things that we see, every sunrise, every starfish, you and me, the, the contents of the room in which we are experiencing this service, all of these things ultimately have their origin, not in human hands, not as a byproduct of our environment, but have been created ultimately by God. You see, faith is a lot like a good map. You see, a good map is something tangible. A good map is something that is of substance. Uh, a good map is something that, that shows evidence that we are going the wrong direction. This is the right direction. Maps aren't things that are just ephemeral. They're, they're not things that, that lack substance. Uh, you don't get to the end of understanding that you're, you're lost and then say, well, I guess we're just going to have to rely on a, on a map. No, it's maps that make sense of where we are and where we're going and the route to get there. What's remarkable, that word hypostasis that I mentioned earlier, the uh, in the NRSV, now faith is the assurance or substance of things hoped for. That same word is used earlier in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, and it's used to refer to a person, and that person is Jesus. You can read it later. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that Jesus is the, the radiance of God's glory and the exact uh, imprint of God's hypostasis, the exact imprint of God's substance. And here's what's remarkable. If Hebrews chapter 11 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And again, these aren't things hoped for that are just things that we hope for. These are things that God has promised us. That God has said, this is the canyon I want you to cross. And this is what I am promising, not only for you on the other side, but for every step along the way. For example, promises like I will never leave you or forsake you. Promises like I will not cause anything to remove you from my love. Promises like there's nothing at all of creation that can separate you from God's love. All of these promises have substance like a map. And that same substance is the very nature of God. 
and the very nature of God has come to us in the person of Jesus. And as we walk on our canyons, as we cross these canyons that God is calling us to, Jesus is our way. He is not only our guide, but he indwells us through the power of God's spirit. And this gift of faith that we have isn't something that we generate on our own. It is Christ in us. It is a substance that is eternal. And it enables us more powerfully than any of our five senses to actually step out in the dark unknown, to descend into it in ways with certainty in the midst of all the uncertainty around us, that enable us to enter into it with courage despite all the chaos around us, that enable us to to walk by faith even when we can't see. Let's keep going, Hebrews chapter 11. What's so phenomenal about this entire section is that faith begins as something defined, right? We talked about that. But then it transitions into this long section from verses four all the way through the end of chapter 11, all the way to verse 40. And it changes and it uses this this combination of things. And it goes from faith being the noun to which the writer of Hebrews defines, and it goes into this kind of uh, uh, a prepositional statement, this phrase, by faith. And this phrase, by faith, is used 19 different times in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, more than, than any other chapter in Scripture. And what's phenomenal, just you know, we're getting deep here, kind of like we're studying a map. That prepositional phrase, by faith, is the linking instrument between the subject of each sentence and a verb. In other words, it is the the linking uh, instrument between a person and an action either they take or an action that God does in their life. Let me give you some examples. We've already read from verses uh, 1 through 11. Let's, let's, let's skip down to verse 17. By faith, Abraham. So Abraham is the subject. Abraham is the person, like you, like me. Abraham is no different than you and I, and yet had this instrument in their life, a, a gift from God, but not just a gift that they just you know, left under the tree, a gift that they just left unwrapped, a gift that they left unused. It was a gift that they opened up. It was a gift that they experienced. It was a gift that they cultivated. And in doing so, Abraham, by faith, when put to the test, here's the verb, offered up Isaac. I want you to imagine that moment. One of the most remarkable moments in all the Hebrew scriptures, so often misunderstood, so often contorted to think that God uh, would ask a father to do something awful to a son. That's, That's not at all what this is about. You see, God had promised Abraham something. 
You can read about it all the way back in Genesis 12. God promised that through Abram, that God would make a tremendous family. And through that family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The problem was, is Abraham was so old when God had promised him and Abraham didn't have yet a family. Yes, he was married to, to Sarah and yet they didn't have kids. So here you have God revealing God's self to Abraham saying, I'm going to bless you and you're going to have such a large family that through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That was Abraham's canyon that God said, I am calling you to enter into this life with me, enter into this journey with me. I want you to go to this other land that I'm not gonna fully reveal yet to you. And I want you to know that I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna make a great nation out of you and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your lineage. And so what does he do? He steps out in faith. He shows up to the start, but then he begins to descend into the dark unknown and years and years and years and years and years go by. And then finally, miraculously, we've already read it. They were past the age when you could or should be able to have kids. And God miraculously enabled Abraham and Sarah to have a child named Isaac. That's not the end of the story. We thought we were across the canyon. No, 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 we're just getting started. And so as Isaac grows up, their only child, the only evidence that God was true to God's word. God then arrives, speaks to, to Abraham and says, I want you to take your son and I want you to take him to this place and I want you to sacrifice him there. Now in the fullness of scripture, we can see how that moment is a foreshadow of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus makes on the cross. And when we zoom out, we see the fullness of scripture. We know that God would not allow Abraham to sacrifice his only son because God was willing to sacrifice his only son for you and for me. And yet, Abraham didn't know that. Abraham didn't know with certainty exactly how God was going to work all these things out. God had promised, and yet God is asking, so how's this going to work out? And so he had faith. And it wasn't a blind faith. It wasn't a substance-less faith. It was a faith that was the substance of things hoped for, the things that God had already promised, that he would make through him a great family, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And it was evidence of things unseen. And yet he walked, not by sight, not by any of those five senses, but he walked with the most powerful map in the world, and it was God's word. And as he stepped out in faith, and even though he was physically ascending, he was descending into the dark unknown of what's going to happen next. And for those of you that know the story, God provides a way. Right up until the last moment, Abraham trusting God, 
harnessing that gift of faith. God provides a sacrifice, another sacrifice, a ram caught in the thicket, which in itself was a foreshadow of Jesus, the Passover lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And this is just one of 24 heroes in the hall of faith that through faith, that by faith did something. And every single one of us is being called to do something with our faith. And God has revealed to us in scripture Verb after verb after verb after verb of the very action that God is longing for our lives to, to enact that flow out of our faith in God. We're called to serve, to forgive, to love, to ask for forgiveness, to be a witness to, to bear one another's burdens, to spur one another on to good deeds, to be a a voice to the voiceless, to care for the oppressed, to speak out against injustice. James, the book of James says that faith without works is dead. You can have a dead faith, a faith that lacks risk, a faith that that doesn't drive you out of this world to participate in God's reconciling work, God's kingdom work in this world. It's not works that get us into a relationship with God, not at all. We are saved by faith, but now saved by faith. It is faith that propels us forward. It is faith that saves us, but it's faith that sends us out into the world. It's faith that saves us, but it's faith that causes us to be willing to show up to the canyons that God calls us to cross and to descend into the dark unknown. You can read the entirety of the book of Hebrews later, but I want to end with this longer section. Hear these subjects, these people, and hear how by faith they did something. And the thing that they did was the very thing that God called them to do. Listen to this. Beginning in verse 29, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time should fail to tell the stories of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith and by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of the weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refused to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. It goes on. Others suffered by faith through mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sewn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute and persecuted and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. 
And some of you were like, why didn't you stop at verse 32? Say, what? By faith, they were stoned. By faith, they were beaten. By faith, they were persecuted. This is the substance of a true living faith. It is an assurance of what God is calling you to. It is the substance of the way that God is calling you and I and God's people, the church, to live. And when we step out and cross those canyons, some of those canyons we might experience what we might call blessings from an earthly point of view. Oh, and yes, they're blessings. But also, if we step out in faith and if we enter into the dark unknown of the kings that God is calling us to cross, we might and we may experience persecution. We might experience mocking. We might experience one day torture. We might one day experience death. And the world would look at that and say, the substance of that kind of a life is substanceless. But the writer of Hebrews says that is a limited, that is a narrow, that is a temporal, that is a temporary view of all things that relies just on the five senses, that doesn't rely on God's word, God's purposes, God's eternal plan. Because the writer of Hebrews says that all those people who by faith stepped out and did those things and their lives were lost and they were tortured, they were persecuted, the world was not even worthy. of their existence. You see, the true substance of life is a life with God. And in some ways, the world will look at the substance of that life and say, wow, there is a joy that I want. There is a peace that I want. There is a a security that I want. But there is also a substance that many in the world cannot understand. And so we choose, as followers of Christ, not to rely on the ways of the world to be our map, but we rely on God's word to be our map. And by the faith that God has given us, that we would grow that, that we'd harness that, that we'd cultivate that, and we would descend in the dark under the canes that God has called us to. Now these shoes... were the shoes that I wore to cross that canyon. And what's remarkable is that I, I, I bought these shoes. And just because I bought these shoes, even though I received these shoes, uh, the canyon still needed to be crossed. And even though I prepared, uh, I trained in these shoes, that uh, still wasn't enough for the canyon that I still needed to cross. It required me to show up in these shoes. And in these shoes, I was able to run for many hours early in the morning, freezing cold, by faith. Not a blind faith, a faith grounded, not only in a physical map, but grounded in this belief, this trust, this sense that God was calling me to cross that physical canyon. 
And it's taken many months to realize that the why and the experience was so much more than just that physical crossing. And in actual fact, I have canyons that I need to cross on a daily basis, emotional canyons, relational canyons. They're all spiritual. In a reminder that by faith I ran, but also by faith I need to trust. By faith I need to forgive. By faith I need to have patience. By faith I need to receive. By faith I need to confess. How would you fill in the sentence? By faith I. How would you fill in that sentence? If you're looking for a verb to fill in that sentence, that's where we have the gift of God's word. Because you'll find that as you read God's word, there are verbs that don't fit, that don't work. When you read God's word, you'll never fill in the sentence, by faith I feared. By faith I got revenge. By faith I hid. By faith I covered up. By faith I trampled on other people. By faith, I made a name for myself. No, no, no. We'll find very different verbs. But that's for you to discover. Like Abraham discovered. Like Sarah discovered. Like Rahab discovered. Like David discovered. That's the journey that God is calling you right now. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that through your spirit, we can come to understand through your word, the canyons you were calling us to cross. And may we see that faith is an essential instrument, an essential agency, an essential gift that you give us to accomplish those things. Would we know that that faith comes through a faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the substance of Jesus, which is the substance of you, God, fills our lives with evidence, with a substance even in the midst of the mystery and the complexity and the unknownness of what is head. God, we acknowledge that there are two truths that we cannot see, and yet we walk with certainty by faith. Help us to see that those things are not mutually exclusive through the power of your spirit. And would you drive us deeper into your heart and into the canyons you were calling us to cross. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray and we say together, amen.